Let's go to, to Genesis 22, if you would open up to it. I am, uh, we typically preach out of the ESV version, so that's where I'll be reading from. Genesis 22, we see this picture, this story of the sacrifice of Isaac. And we'll be preaching for most of the chapter today. It might, the last three, four verses, I'll be reading. Let's read them anyway. Read with me. Follow along. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Abraham said, here I am. God said to him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz, his, first his firstborn, Buz, his, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Hildash, 
Jidlaf and Bethuel. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Reuma, bore Teba, Gehem, Tehash, and Makkah. This is the word of the Lord. These last few verses we're not gonna we're not gonna go into, um, but I, I will just say as a, an aside that they are there um, mostly for the, that that parentheses Bethuel fathered Rebekah, which will show us in the future um, uh, where Isaac uh, uh, continues that line through Rebekah, and that is there included for us. So as I was. Um, going through this this week and, and, and trying to figure out, as Ricky said, you know, you can preach this. Um, I know you're busy. This is kind of a an easy easy chapter to kind of have some low hanging fruit from. And and the the, the 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 problem with that is how do you condense all the good stuff in here to talk about um, into a, a a sermon? So there is stuff in here we're not going to get to because um, because of the time limit, but. Uh, yeah, this is where we encourage the saints to go and study themselves and, and seek the Spirit's uh, guidance and what he would say through this. But today, um, as, we, as we move through the chapter, I'm gonna, I, I want to actually step back a little bit before we move through the chapter. And uh, I'm approaching it through the lens of faith today. Um, and, and so it's a little bit Topical, if you will, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about this um, through the lens of faith. And when I was thinking about that for the sermon, I, I thought, well, what is what is faith? And so I tried to start to break some of this stuff down in my own mind. And so I thought, well, what is faith? I was thinking, what can I? I'm gonna break this down before I even look it up. What do I think of it? What is the definition of faith? You know, when you try to put something to words, sometimes you take for granted that you know what they mean, and you feel I have a good grasp on it, but putting a, a definition of the words to the word we're trying to explain just becomes a harder task. First, I thought through and tried to define it in my own terms. This is what I came up with. I said, a belief or trust in something or someone. And so I was like, well, we'll see how close I am. So I started, started looking up online and in, and in books, and I, I feel like I got pretty close to what others were saying, too. A belief or trust in something or someone. Here's some definitions. Faith is trust, the dependence on God, based on the fact that we take him at his word and believe what he has said. Another writer said, belief, trust, and confidence is faith. Another writer put it, a fastening of the heart upon the divine word of promise, a leaning upon the power and faithfulness of God, to believe what someone says, to accept a statement as true, belief in and commitment to something or someone. So I feel like I got pretty close to that. I want you to really dwell on that as we go through this, because... Um, that is the crux of the message today. It's something that we can dwell and meditate on for our whole lives. What do we believe, and how, how much do we, we believe we say what we believe, right? 
how much faith do we do we actually place in our Lord? Um, as I was also doing this uh, this this faith definition thing, I had of course you have to go to the Bible and you got to take it right. So we go to and, and if you want to camp out, have two places to look. Uh, I kind of camp out a little bit in, in Hebrews eleven and twelve today as well as Genesis twenty two. Well, in Hebrews eleven it says, "Now faith is the assurance." Of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is one of the plainest definitions of faith in the Bible. The NIV says very similarly, faith is being sure, being sure of what we hope for and certain of, we, of what we don't see. And so I want you to, those are some things you can take notes on and meditate on. Being sure of what we do not already have. It's not being sure of what we do have here that you can put your hands on. Okay, that you can see, but it's being, it's putting your trust in something that you don't have yet, but has been promised to you. Certain of what we do not see. Folks, that can be scary if you think about it, right? Trusting something or someone for something you can't see, can't feel, and are not in, here it is, control of. I don't know if, if, if you're like me, but... I kind of like to have that control. I feel like I'm in control of my life and its direction. Trust can be scary because it's not in your control. It's out of your control and in someone else's control. Now, saying you trust something or someone, saying you have faith in it is one thing, but showing it, well, that's another. Actual faith takes action. That's why James says in his letter that faith without works is dead. Faith without action. Faith in word only is not actually faith, but just an empty statement. I can say, well, I had a stool up here normally when we preach, so pretend I have that stool cross life that we normally have. I can say that this stool would hold me up. I can say that that chair is going to hold me up. And I can believe it. But it's not actually put into to action until I do it, right? Do I really believe it? I will go sit in it to prove you that I do believe in it. How about this? As a, as a, as a, as a father, and maybe as fathers and mothers, you've had this experience before. I, I wanted to teach my kids how to, to swim. And, uh, you know, when they're first learning how to do this, at least my kids were deathly afraid of it, okay? And, uh, and I said, well, you know what? I'll hold you, and we'll go into the deep water, and you'll be completely safe because I got you. <laughs> okay, Dad, I can do that. Or, you know, jump into me. I'll catch you. I was... Uh, 
humbled by the fact that my child actually didn't trust me that much to actually carry him in the deep water. He was, he was rather panicky when he first did that. Um, but there it is, faith put in action. And here we reflect on the opposite of faith. My child doubted me, right? He, doubt, he didn't have full faith in me. And doubt is a feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. It's a lack of trust. So we have faith and we have doubt. But think about this in your own life, church. Think about it in your everyday life. What do you trust and what do you doubt? But further still, what we really want to focus on is how about this in your personal faith? How much do you believe the things that he tells you about himself? Okay? About what he has said about himself and what he says about us. Further on then, let's focus on what faith, our trust, depends on. Faith is often used with another word in our society. So don't, don't, go, don't get it confused with this. Society often puts what with it? Blind, right? Blind faith. A leap of faith. Well, as soon as faith is brought up, this is the definition many go to. Society often considers faith a folly, because it is equated with being against reason. Blind faith is faith against reason. It is. A trust in something despite the evidence against it. And if this is the definition of faith, I completely concur. That is folly. But our faith is not based on anti-reason. But folks, people have faith every day, even those who are skeptical of it. Like I said, I believe that chair will hold me when I sit it, when I sit in it, but there's no guarantee that it will. I believe the bridge that I go over will not give way when I do it. That's an act of faith. I trust that the brakes in my car will prevent me from running into the person in front of me. That's an act of faith. And I don't know why, but I'll even trust a plane to carry me in the air safely. It's 36,000 feet. Actually, I don't always trust that. I'm scared of that. But that's an act of faith. Why do we trust those things? Why do we have faith that we, they will do what we hope they will do? Because through experience, we have seen the effect of what we expect or hope for. We reason that it will be that way again. And the more we have seen the effect of past experiences, the more solid our reasoning is to put our faith in it. Now, that doesn't mean that when I go out of here that my brakes won't all of a sudden work because I have some unforeseen brake fluid loss. But I still reasonably put my faith that I can still drive home because I've done it before many times. Without this faith, though, folks, the anxiety of life would become unbearable. Again, start to wrap this into the bigger picture of our faith in Christ. So we have faith every day. Even people who are skeptical of faith, relying on reason and verifiable facts, science, they all have faith. 
that they're not being that they're not deceiving themselves in some way. The thing I'm beginning to hint at is that faith is unavoidable. So we must reason with ourselves. What do we put our faith in? I mean, not just these little things we've been talking about, like the chair and the car, but where's our ultimate faith? Our life trust. Is it in my own abilities? My health? My image? My reputation? My community? My country? Politics? Wealth? Social justice? Church, through the evidence of our lives, what is our ultimate trust in? If your faith is not to be blind, then the question should be, what is worthy of my full trust? What or who is reasonably the most trustworthy? Where, where my faith is not blind but is sure, full of conviction, certainty. So now we can turn back to, with that precursor, Abraham's faith in Genesis 22. It says here, Abra- or it says, after these things, God tested Abraham. God tested him. Think about this test. <laughs> really, think about it. It's no small test, is it? Does this test just come out of nowhere? I'm going to step back from my notes for a little bit, and I think I have this later, but when, when we read this, I often come back to thinking about my brother and I actually in undergrad took a class together and uh, it was called Hebrew Bible class. And we came across this, this story and one of the women, one of the students there was an older mother um, taking that class. And I think she grasped the full weight of this story more so than we did at the time. And, and, and I'm going to bring her in here in just a little bit. But she, her, she had a huge objection to this story. This was not a, this was a rather liberal school we went to. This is not a Bible college. And she had a real problem with this story. Not just with what Abraham did, but with what God called him to do. I want to bring that back around to, this is no small test. Think about what God is asking him to do. And if God would ask you to do this. Does this test just come out of nowhere? What if God had given Abraham a son through Sarah when he was 40 or 50 years old and not 100, and then asked him to sacrifice him to give him up? What about all the smaller acts of faith and doubt throughout the life of Abraham? What about the promises God had made to Abraham to make his offering into a great nation through barren Sarah. And then his promise that his offspring will be blessed, his nations will be blessed through his offspring. What's the point I'm trying to make? God has shown himself to Abraham throughout his whole life that he is trustworthy. Right? Abraham's faith was built 
and increased by God slowly, piece by piece, year by year, into a man of faith. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said to him, I am here, or here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will show you. So God tests Abraham. One of the things that you can reflect on then is why this test of faith. God knows his heart, does he not? What is the test for? Well, God tests Abraham not so much as a test to produce faith, but as a test, a way to reveal it. He's built him up to this point in his life. Abraham, you know, if, if you remember all the, as we've gone through Genesis, you'll remember that he's failed several times in what he actually believes God in what he says he'll do. But here we see Abraham and his faith has come a long way. And the test is for Abraham, but, but church, it's also recorded here for us. Let's look a little bit more at this faith in action, the trust that had been built upon years of following God and years of him fulfilling his word to Abraham. If we read on, I'm going to show you all the instances of faith through action. In fact, I even underlined it here in my Bible, and I want you to, to see these things. So uh, uh, God called him to this test, and how does Abraham respond? We want to know how he responds to faith. Does he say, wait a minute, why are you wanting me to do this? No, wait a minute, I don't know about this. No, this is what he does. Abraham, verse 3, rose early in the morning. These are all actions. Saddled his donkey. He took two young men and his son, Isaac. And then he cut the wood for the burnt offering. You realize that, that Abraham was quite rich and powerful, had many servants. The servants could have done that for him, but he did it himself. And then he went to the place of which God had told him. Deliberate action towards the thing God had asked him to do. Then on the third day, they were there, and uh, Abraham says to the young man, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you deliberate action. And then in verse 6, he took the wood, laid it on his son Isaac. Then he took in his hand the fire and the knife. He didn't conveniently forget the knife. He took it. All the while, he had three days. By the way, he had three days to think about this. He had three days to think about what God would ask him to do to sacrifice, to kill his son, his only son, the son whom he loves. And then they make their way up the hill. And he even says in response to Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb. So they both went together. And then faith in action. He built an altar 
He laid the wood. He bound his son. He laid him on the altar. Painfully, I'm sure. And then finally he reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. At no point do we, do we read that Abraham hesitated. Okay? Now, Abraham's a man. He's a mere man. Do you read this and think, not one hesitation? Folks, I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't think I could do that. If God said, hey, you need to go and not that he would, this, by the way, this is a unique situation. This and Jesus, is that, that's the only time. He's not going to ask you to do that. So, But, but there are other things he's, he's going to ask you to do. And what, what's your response to that? Like I said, at any point, Abraham could have questioned God. Think, think of all these things. He could have said, wait, human sacrifice? I thought you weren't like the Canaanite gods. Wait, my son? What about the promise you made? Why not sacrifice something else? Well, why not me? Because you see, it probably would have been easier for Abraham to give up his own life than his son. Well, in fact, like I said, that woman in, that, in our Hebrew Bible class, she said the same types of things. Isn't this barbaric? Isn't this terrible of God to put Abraham through this? What kind of God would ask a person to sacrifice his own child? Unfathomable, she thought. And what kind of man is Abraham for even entertaining the idea and then going through with it? Isn't this what we do? We naturally do this. We question God and express our doubt. And in fact, a lot of times this is, this is praised, right? To, to express doubt, to be skeptical. It's within, our, well, it's within our nature to do so. But trusting God, when we're asked to do it, doubt creeps in. How then does Abraham, a mere man, express such trust? I don't know. I don't know about you, but this, this confounds me. This, this kind of brings me this just goes beyond my mind. No hesitation. Where did such faith, such trust come from? Here's the crux of the message, folks. Abraham can express such faith because he had learned to trust the promiser, not just the promise. He'd learned to trust in someone Whereas Abraham had tried to bring about the promise by his own means at one time, right? Ishmael. Trusting in the promise, he had trusted in the promise that was made to him, trusting in himself to fulfill the promise through Hagar himself. He's trusting in the promise, not the promiser. But now he had learned through his life that his faith rested on the security of who his trust was in. That task that seems impossible, he wasn't focused on that. 
He was focusing on the person who, who asked him to do it. And he'd known throughout a whole life that he could that he could trust him. Because God had proven to him over and over and over again that he doesn't lie. That he can be trusted. Abraham had learned that because of who asked this of him, and his lifetime experience of him, his trust could be fully placed. No doubt, no hesitation. Abraham's faith, our faith, as we learn, is only as strong as the thing or the person in whom we trust. Abraham had learned that God was completely worthy of his full life, treasure-placing trust. Abraham willingly went to sacrifice his son, his only son, the son of God's promise. He told Isaac, he even said, God will provide the sacrifice when they were walking up to the mountain, fully trusting God, the promiser, to fulfill his promise, even though the command seemed to be against reason. In this we learn that Abraham did not have blind faith, as we might think, because he trusted this against his reason. He reasoned that God, the promiser, was reasonably more worthy of trust than what he was seemingly asking of him. Abraham had learned to trust the promiser and not in the way he thought the promise would be fulfilled. We learn in Hebrews eleven seventeen. It says, the writer says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham, he reasoned, it says there, he reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead, the writer writes. Abraham had learned, after over a hundred years, a lifetime of experience, that his faith was in the one who could not tell a lie, his, who is the truth himself. He learned his faith was secure in the promiser, not in the promise. Have you ever read this and marveled at it like we are now? How can a mere man not hesitate to sacrifice his own son because God had asked him to do this? Like I said, I hesitate all the time for lesser things. I ask myself, how can I have that faith? I want that faith. No hesitation in God. I'm going to step aside briefly just for this one story because I think it's so precious to me. Uh, if you know, especially particularly now, um, if you're Cross Life members, you know that Mark and I lost our father in May. Um, and uh, we dearly loved him. He, was a, he taught us to follow Christ. It's one of the most precious things that he ever said to me. And I was saying something to him. It was maybe kind of off the cuff, but I said something like, man, if I just knew what God wanted me to do, if I just knew it, I could, it's so, I could just go there. I wouldn't have to second guess everything. Sorry. And, and, and Dad said, Andy, that wouldn't be living by faith then. You wouldn't be trusting 
God. You'd be trusting the plan. He said, he said, essentially said, Andy, if you knew the whole plan, you'd trust in the plan, not the planner. It wouldn't be trust. It wouldn't be faith. You would show your love for the plan. You'd show your love for the promise, not the promiser. You show your love for the provision, not the provider. You show your love for the creation, not the creator. Andy, your faith is to be in, in who, not what. You say, you might say, well, that's great, Andy, but how can I, how can I put my guard down, really? How, how do I know that I can trust God with everything? Why should I trust him with my very life, my soul, and my most treasured possessions? Well, I would say the more you know him, the more you'll trust him. I'm just thinking, it's the same way with our relationships here. The more I know Alyssa, the more I can trust her. Yes? Just as Abraham did throughout his life. How do you get to know him more? You read from his word. You learn of him. You pray to him. You learn about his character and his love. And you ultimately act it out. But as we read of him and get to know him, not know about him, but know him, here's how we can know that our faith is secure in him. Because of what ultimately happened on this same mountain in Genesis 22, Mount Moriah of which this whole scene that we read is a type, a foreshadowing of the greater sacrifice, the lamb God provided, as was prophesied by Abraham. You see, there's another reason for this story for us. While it was a test to reveal, to reveal the faith of Abraham and Isaac, by the way, which we're not going to get to, there was, at the time, a greater reason for the command and whole event in the first place. You see, on that, on that mountain, that same hill, Jerusalem was built. And in Jerusalem, the temple was built and sacrifices were offered. But outside Jerusalem, on that same hill, the sacrifice of Jesus occurred. Step back for just a little bit. Sacrifices. Why sacrifices? Remember, from the beginning of Genesis, we broke the bond, the relationship between us and God, when we decide to seek ourselves. And he's the one who deserves all affection and honor. We are the one who chose to give honor and affection to someone else, namely ourselves. And we do this daily. As God explains to us in his word, there's only one way back from that. Forgiveness must be had, but also made through payment of the injustice we caused. And this payment must be with either our own lives or the life of one in my place. Sacrifices. So as we read through the story, we're not going to read through it all again, don't worry. But as you think through this story, in the ultimate story, God takes his son. What does it say at the beginning of chapter 22? Look at here, verse 2. It says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Or, 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 how about this? It says, uh, God takes his son. 
his only son, Jesus, whom he loves. And he sends him to Moriah, Calvary. While Abraham and Isaac walk up the hill, Abraham prophesies this without even knowing the ultimate fulfillment. I think it's one of the greatest prophecy statements I love to read in the Bible. God will provide for himself the lamb. So I ask you again, how can we trust God? How can our faith increase by focusing on this church? As the author says in Hebrews, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, giving his life in our place, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, how can we trust in God? How can we put our full faith in him? How will it increase? When we consider this, church, what God says through Paul in Romans, and this is what I want you to, if you write this down and review this every day this week, he, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He says, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God, who did not spare his own son, but gave us up for him, gave him up for us all. This is how we grow in our trust of God. Consider Jesus ponder him, meditate on him. What kind of God must we serve, church, who would sacrifice his own son, his only son, whom he loves in our place? Can you trust that, God? Consider Abraham and the question of that student I keep coming to back in class. How can God ask and require of Abraham to sacrifice a child? A parent to sacrifice his or her beloved? Church, the answer is, he doesn't. Because he himself takes that place for you. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Church, see what love the Father has lavished on us. Meditate on him. See him. He didn't spare his own son. He didn't spare himself. He put himself in your place, in my place. If we truly, truly consider this, know this, how can we not trust him? This is how our faith increases. Your trust is as good as that in which you trust. Look at what he's done for you. You can trust him. Last note, church. Faith, trust, requires action. Faith without works. Faith, proving it through your life, the way you live, we don't see it. Faith without works is dead. Consider then Jesus. If we go back to Hebrews, after the listing of the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews says this. He says, therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Don't look at the other things in the race. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The author and perfecter of our faith Jesus had the perfect trust in the Father. We see this throughout his life. You can read of it, but let's consider briefly for the time, for just our time here, the Garden of Gethsemane. The night of agonizing prayer before he was to be executed, crucified. While expressing his agony to the Father, while knowing what he was about to experience, both physical and spiritual torture and separation. What does he do? He trusts in the Father nonetheless. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his child. God asked Jesus to be crucified, separated from him. These are no small tasks. God doesn't say it'll be easy, but he does say, trust me. What does Jesus do then through agony and death? The whole time, he trusts the promiser. He who assured him that there was no other way. He trusts the promiser to do as he says. And you know how Jesus himself even quotes Psalm 22 on the cross, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? If you read further down in there, this is maybe even what Jesus was thinking because he knows that whole psalm. Have you read it? Verse 4 says, in you our fathers put their trust. They trusted. You delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Jesus' trust was complete, and it was not unfounded. We see it through what he endured, through the action he took to show he trusted the Father. And what I said, he did, God delivers, right? He delivers on his word, because he is the tr he's truth himself. God, we see him fulfill his promise. He delivered his people through Jesus, as he said he would. And... He raised Jesus, delivering him to be seated at his right hand. So, church, it comes back to you. Does your life have this kind of faith? The faith of Abraham. The trust in the Father Jesus had. What does your life speak to? What does my life speak to? Your actions, what do they show about where you place your trust? 
your thoughts, what do they say about where your ultimate faith lies? Put those questions down and meditate on it. Then, church, consider Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Consider him if you grow weary and faint-hearted in your faith. I ask again, how does your faith in God grow and your faith in everything else diminish? How can your trust in God be as full as Abraham's and as complete as Jesus? Only, church, when we ponder day and night this, God, who did not spare his own son, his most treasured possession, gave us up, gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him whom he's given us, graciously give us all things? When you consider whom you are trusting and what he has promised you, a God who has held nothing back from you, he did not withheld his, his most treasured possession from you. The rock, the promiser who cannot lie. God will provide for himself the lamb, and he did. The promiser cannot lie. He did as he promised. He has proven himself trustworthy. He does as he promises, church. And he continues to show you, us, throughout history and throughout our lives that he is trustworthy. So build your life on him as the one sure trust. Because he is the only one whose promise, whose covenant can't be broken. He will fulfill all he has said. Let's pray. Father, you are precious. We don't deserve you. Yet you love us. You lavish your love upon us. You show us you you are are able to be trusted because you did not withhold your own son from us. Father, help, help me, help us. As that soldier had said, I believe, help my unbelief. We want to believe in Father when we don't. Help us to believe what you've said about yourself, about who we are and what what you've done for us and how much you love us, so that we can put all of our trust in every aspect of our lives, our very life, our itself, our most treasured possessions, and submit them to you, the good Father, who provides and loves, who is fully trustworthy. We love you, Father. It is in your wonderful, precious, holy name. Amen.